One, two, three. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. Today is actually Cyber Monday, and so we're just going to jump straight into talking about e-commerce, sales, Amazon, how you can get better. And really, my, my latest focus, I just want to learn more about Vendor Central. The brands that lay, that have 1P accounts, often they've been around for a decade or more, and they're really, you know, they, they, they move a lot of volume. And so I'm just very curious because I do think that a lot of third-party sellers do not understand the other side and how they think about it and whatever. So I have with me an expert, also an ex-Amazonian on Vendor Central, Martin Heubel. Hey, Martin, welcome. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's such a busy day today, Cyber Monday. Wow. I mean, how was, yeah. how was your experience so far during the Black Friday week? You know what? I'm going to be honest. I haven't checked in. I was actually working last night, throwing in some last minute deals. I did my work last night so I could wake up uh, and feel fine. What I'm seeing so far, I'm in a few uh, groups of other Amazon professionals and generally people, some people are doing pretty well. Some people are pretty happy. Some are, you know, just, you know, another Turkey five with nothing new to report. So it seems like this year is good. It's not like amazing, you know, 30, 40% growth on Amazon, but it's not shrinking. You know, like I have a vested interest. Like I don't want Amazon to shrink. I wanted to keep growing. It's a lot easier to be a part of a growing, you know, something that grows. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. I think early, what I've read so far is that the early indications also from Black Friday were quite positive. So I think in, yeah. in physical bricks and mortar, um, we see kind well, of a single digit, two, three percentage uh, growth, whereas I think, yeah, Amazon and e-commerce in general have, have a little bit more of a strong push. But let's see, yeah. let's see how, how it unfolds. So actually, while we're talking about this, we're going to jump into Vendor Central and some of the experience that you have had and how you help some brands unlock value in getting, you know, good negotiation. But how do vendor managers, how do they approach Prime Day or these shopping holidays about giving a deal? Like, do they approach 1P brands and be like, hey, we want you to do a deal on this? Or do they just do it themselves? Like, who eats the margin here? It can be both. So vendors have the opportunity via Vendor Central to use a console called uh, Vendor Self Service uh, Promotions Portal, where they can upload their own kind of bids to take part in these tentpole deal events. Um, so they can upload, for example, a Lightning deal or a Best deal, and also subscribe and save coupons. Um, or especially for the larger kind of activations that are also prominently featured on the homepage and on the deals and promotions page called top deals or deal of the days. Those are typically the deal types where vendor managers work together with the largest brands of a category in order to ensure that these products that are all year round top sellers are offered at a discounted rebate and meet at the same time Amazon's deal tenants. So the guiding principles that the online retailer would like to have displayed on its website. And that typically means, and they share that often also quite, quite openly, that means that they would like to have a 25 to 30% discount from the current side price and looking after the last 30 days of what the average selling price of that item was. So generally speaking, if you are looking for good deals during those tentpole deal events, you will see that oftentimes, especially now during a Black Friday or Cyber Monday period, but also during the Prime Day activations, Amazon is actually transitioning a little bit from a price follower into a price leader. And they are really going deep into the kind of 
yeah, excessive discount arena uh, because they know that it pulls new shoppers into the category and also kind of gets and keeps these shoppers um, on their platform instead of them trying to shop around, which is why there's currently also such, so much competition around these deal events. Yeah, interesting. It's kind of like I see some large brands, they feel like they kind of have to do this just to keep up. If they don't, they could lose a lot of turf. So it sounds like, you know, a vendor does have some control here. Also, Amazon can lean in and help promote those deals. Are, are there any deals or that like, that are kind of exclusive to vendor brands? You know, do they have any, um, we'll go into this a little bit later, but like any, maybe unfair advantages going into these selling holidays? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're looking at these prominently featured deals on the homepage or also on the deals and promotions page, sometimes Amazon calls them, depending on the marketplace you're in, top deals or hero deals or wow deals. And those are interestingly often the deals and promotions that are primarily coming from first party brands. So where Amazon cannot only secure pricing, but also secure the inventory allocation because they have a direct relationship with the manufacturing brand of that product or that brand. And um, here I would say, I mean, the visibility placement is certainly a little bit of an advantage that first party brands can have because they're also, of course, having the brand name that gets shoppers to kind of go into the category and browse more. So not only to shop that deal, but potentially also to build their basket and to increase the overall spend on the platform. So what you're seeing is that first party brand deals typically draw in the shopper. And then as follow-up calls or the halo effect, what really is happening is that then these shoppers are also purchasing other 1P or 3P items later onwards. But you can generally say that the biggest visibility placements are given to, to vendors indeed. Yeah, I've learned about these like top deals and like they really are kind of like a tier above lightning deals yeah. in terms of exposure and the number of views and it, it's hard to get they them. Can, kind of they can drive tens of millions in sales in just a short period of time. And if you're letting them run over a full day period, I mean, with the right visibility that these brands can negotiate with vendor managers, I mean, this gives them really a good boost. And if you compare that, I think, to a lightning deal or best deal, when I'm always looking at it, then the uplift is significantly less just because of this visibility placement as well. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, that makes me want to go browse again. So now I've got a question. One thing that I have learned is that Amazon has 1P relationships with distributors in the US, but they don't really in Europe. I don't know really much at all about, you know, why these relationships in the US with like US distributors, obviously they're doing it for, to get access to more catalog. They may or may not do it with the manufacturers like, you know, blessing, uh, but they work with like distributors. So what's unique about those relationships versus with a, with it, just working with the manufacturer directly? Yeah. I mean, look, earlier this year, Amazon in Europe announced that they are terminating most of the relationships that they have with distributors. Now, this is a big headline. This was a big headline also in the news. But when you really look at what's happening is that Amazon is just cutting the rope, so to say, with distributors or wholesalers that do not give them access to selection that they would not otherwise have with manufacturing brands. So if Amazon has already an existing manufacturing brand relationship, then they will no longer 
want to order these items from a distributor because generally speaking, I mean, it drives more headaches and needs more, requires more headcount resources from Amazon in a very fractionalized European setting with different European markets, different legal requirements and constraints to take care of these distributors as well. So looking at the wider kind of lifecycle stage at which Amazon is finding itself currently, it's all about automation. It's about offshoring. It's about simplifying, especially the kind of parts of its retail business that drive a lot of costs. And those are typically the headcount allocation resources that Amazon has to put against these vendor accounts. Now with brands that are manufacturing brands, Amazon is still willing to do that because of course they can drive down costs and can negotiate better trading terms. But if you are thinking about a distributor, then Amazon goes and says, hold on a second, if there is enough margin for a middleman, such as a distributor or wholesaler to sell these items to me as a retailer, then I would rather prefer to have direct access to the manufacturing brands who can also allow me to give the best cost price and the best prices to end shoppers. They probably knew that that's kind of, they probably knew that 10 years ago when they set up those relationships. A hundred percent. However, we need to also remember that I think compared to the US, Europe is not as mature in a lot of markets and a lot of marketplaces than in North America. So while you have, very mature revenue streams in North America, especially in the US materializing. In Europe, depending on which markets you're looking at, especially if it's a Spain, Italy, or also the uh, expansion markets such as Sweden, Netherlands, or Belgium, those have gravitated not as much as the more mature markets here in Europe. So Amazon was still also heavily reliant on these brands and these manufacturers or distributors of those relationships in order to get, gain access to the selection first, while they also have used the last 10 years in order to create these first-party relationships directly with manufacturing brands and thereby become less reliant on distributors. And if you pair that now with this post-pandemic cost pressure that Amazon so desperately under Andy Jesse has to pursue to reduce its own margin footprint, a lot of that is materializing through, as we've read, headcount allocation and mainstream media or layoffs. And that means that Amazon is focusing the remaining resources really on those brand relationships that matter most and drive most of the kind of inventory ownership and pricing ownership for the A brands of any category and is willing to actually forego of these distributor relationships and move them towards a 3P or third-party seller central model where they will likely still get access to the selection from an Amazon perspective but will no longer have the headache of manually negotiating with them over and over again. Right. So you kind of already hit one of my questions I was going to ask about like, you know, why isn't Amazon not meeting expectations of 1P brands? And like, why do they have so few resources? Is it just as simple? They just want to reduce headcount. They want only profitable relationships. To me, it seems odd that, you know, brands that already do a few million a year don't get any help sometimes. Yeah. So in order to understand that, we really need to look at what has happened with Amazon over the last few years. And of course, during the pandemic, Amazon has made significant bets that affected the customer experience positively. They've onboarded in the US as well as in Europe a lot of those key items that are having a price point, sometimes below five US dollars, five euros or five British pounds, depending on where you are, which come at a very high variable handling and shipping costs for Amazon. But of 
course, are also necessary in order to pull shoppers into the category in the first place. So what Amazon really wants to do is to mirror the offline shopping experience that you would have if you would go to your neighboring supermarket or corner store, which means there is a higher uh, dependency on these larger brands because this is where shoppers gravitate to, especially when you talk about consumer packaged goods or FMCG categories. And this is what Amazon's focus was really during the pandemic. And now and they had the money to kind of finance it, right? Now, post the pandemic, there is a lot of, of cost focus and shift again towards the bottom line, which means that, yes, Amazon still wants to kind of stand firm with the strategy of onboarding more selection that is highly relevant for the end shopper. But that also means that those brands that are supplying to Amazon that have not the brands that are in the top 10 or top 50, when you look at Nielsen or GFK reports for each category, those are no longer Amazon's core focus because it doesn't align with their core fundamental strategy. And this is where Amazon increasingly says, okay, we either automate this relationship, meaning we are giving them access to a mass vendor account manager. So brands can still access vendor support resources via Vendor Central and the case management system. But we no longer actually associate and attribute dedicated headcount resources that are highly paid against these accounts. So there is a little bit of a shift where Vendor Central becomes more exclusive towards the A brands of every single category and where Amazon is also very firmly standing on its promise to kind of deliver for these brands. But you're seeing that these mid-tail and long-tail brands more and more receive less and less support from Amazon vendor managers. Sometimes they don't even have a buying contact any longer. Once the vendor manager is rotating out of their position, they just remain unfilled. And that, of course, means that a lot of brands are strongly considering their options in light yeah. of the automated processes where Amazon is also not necessarily allowing brands to increase cost prices or change terms as they wish. This is a side question. It seems like Amazon sees these vendor managers as very costly to give to brands. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, do you think they've ever considered just like, you know, there's there's ways of reducing the price of a vendor manager. I'm going to guess these are usually MBAs and they're paying them more north of $100,000 a year. There's a lot of qualified people that, you know, be happy with less. I don't know. It just seems like Amazon isn't, doesn't want to reshape the cost basis of Vendor Central and really just wants to keep refining what they have. Yeah, you also, you can almost put it to the, the more extreme because what happens right now is that Amazon is starting. Um, so Amazon has uh, something called AVS or the Amazon Vendor Service, which is a support function for brands next to the buying functions or the vendor manager. And those AVS um, have brand specialists. Those are the kind of functions or the title of those people. And they help vendors in the day-to-day -day support, similar to a Seller Central support team. Now, these positions get more and more offshore towards countries with lower labor costs, sure. such as in Eastern Europe or in India. And Amazon is really pushing firm on moving those resources over. They will sometimes still have one or two people in Europe to kind of accommodate the needs of the local brands and to ensure that they have local market knowledge available on the ground. But all of the tasks that you raise to these brand specialists are getting offshore internally to teams in India. So Amazon is already actively facilitating its own cost base in the right direction, right? They're reducing their own cost footprint. And if you're zooming out and you spin it forward probably three to five years from now, then I wouldn't be surprised if you're also seeing Amazon moving into the same direction with buying contacts, so vendor managers, 
for these smaller brands. They will probably not be able to pull that off with large multinationals who require somebody on the ground and who re they require somebody to meet face to face with. But for most other brands, we already see to a certain extent this happening already. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing a manifestation of that and acceleration of this offshoring exercise over the next few months and years. Okay. So now let's jump into more of your specialty of, uh, you know, understanding, you know, what a brand can do to bring more value out of Amazon. You know, they, some of these have been around for 10, 15 years. And so they've seen this cycle. Sometimes Amazon plays hardball in negotiating. They just won't budge. What does Amazon's hardball look like? Well, I mean, what you're typically seeing is that if you have a cost increase that you would like to go through with them, or if you want to reduce your term spaces because you deem it as unprofitable based on the current economic climate, then vendor managers will either go silent on you if you are a smaller account, or they will not uh, kind of agree, right? They will instead confront you with great terms, increased requests, and say, you need to invest half a percentage more into payment terms or into a damage allowance. And I think if you're falling into option one, where your vendor manager has gone silent on you, um, there's potentially only the way that you need to kind of ensure that you are showcasing to them, look, if you're not finding a resolution to the overall negotiation by date X, so one or two months in the future, then that will, of course, impact our business continuity. Because if you're not addressing these root causes in order to increase our costs, with you, then we'll no longer be able to supply at this cost price to you. Now, brands that are more diversified beyond Amazon will have it easier than brands that kind of live and get all of their revenue off of Amazon. And so here, the only way that you can effectively navigate it is to potentially look at a hybrid model where you also open a seller central account in order to kind of reduce your reliance and diversify your risk profile away from a vendor manager who may not right. be as reliable as a counterpart. We'll come to that in a little bit. But the other alternative is that if Amazon plays hardball, that you, of course, should A, always ask for the data, right? So you should never invest against something where you do not get significant performance insights, at least for comparable brands. And that can be indexed, that can be real uh, data that Amazon shares. But if your vendor manager doesn't share any data with you, that's usually a sign that they just want to increase their own profit margin and are not necessarily willing to, to meet you anywhere where you need to be from your own bottom line requirements. So let's keep going on this assumption that Amazon is playing hard. You know, you're not giving them the cost that you want, but you know, there maybe there's a little bit of negotiation. What are some areas that are like our low commercial value that like Amazon will push for you to do? And then what are some of the high value uh, spots that where you can negotiate? When it comes to investments into a damage allowance or into automated marketing or retail merchandising investment, those are typical investment areas and investment pillars I personally would stay away from because they equal a listing fee. You will not get any benefit in return. And the only thing that happens is that Amazon will increase its margin called the net PPM for Vendor Central. So that is great but for them, but not good for you. On the flip side, what I always recommend is start increasing the conditionality of those trading terms that you are interested in. So for example, if your vendor manager is offering you the opportunity to invest into the Amazon vendor service, which would kind of increase the headcount resources that Amazon allocates on your account, this is of course something that has a good value, right? Because you get some person from inside of Amazon that can help you on the day-to-day -day operations and 
can also act as kind of an escalation point of contact should things go wrong or the catalog get messed up and so on and so forth. So you can facilitate response compared to only the kind of vendor central case support that otherwise would exist and would be at your disposal. And while your vendor manager would like you to incrementally invest into these pillars, don't forget that moving these existing investments that you may have as part of your trading terms is always an option. So if you're investing currently 15% and your vendor manager would like you to invest 3, 4, 5% into an AVS on top, there's always the option to just kind of reduce the amount of other investment pillars that you're currently having, even though your vendor manager highlights to you that those are mandatory investment pillars for you to invest in. What they really mean is that they are internally required, mandatorily required to ask you to invest more. But if it really comes head on head um, to the negotiation outcome that they desire, then you will have to move and you will be able to move investments that are already exist and you would not have to incrementally put them on top of your investment basis. Do negotiations happen over email? Do they happen in conversation, on a phone? Does it take a few days, a few weeks, a few months? What's that look like? Yeah, this will very much depend on your size and relevancy as a brand in Amazon's category. So vendor managers will, of course, have more time at their disposal for brands that are large multinationals and that really move the needle in their category. Those brands will typically get invited also to the Amazon office. They will have a kickoff meeting where Amazon presents them all of their new initiatives, summarizes the performance over the last 12 months, and then concludes the meeting with a concrete proposal on how these terms should be shifted or moved um, going forward in order to accommodate the business's needs. If you're a smaller brand, you will likely only face an invitation to negotiate with your vendor manager via email, or sometimes even a pop-up will come up in Vendor Central, highlighting to you that it's time to initiate your negotiations. Sometimes they will give you fixed options, such as increasing your damage allowance or payment terms. And in those cases, I always encourage you to open and use the kind of case system in Vendor Central to negotiate manually um, via email with a counterpart and account manager, because if you are just accepting what Amazon wants you to accept every single year, you will very quickly reach the ceiling of your investment ability. And then reducing those trading terms will be a lot harder. So while increasing it by 2%, your trade trade term space by 2% every year is fairly easy. Reducing it by 2% typically means that Amazon will even go to the extent to pause the business, meaning pausing reordering from you up until the negotiation has been concluded. And this can, of course, create some significant financial distress and uh, reduce your free cash flow should you be very dependent on Amazon as compared to your other set of retailers. So it's a delicate situation depending on how reliant you are on Amazon. And I think it should serve as a wake-up call today when Amazon is divesting its vendor manager resources from so many accounts that you really review on, okay, what are your profit what do your profit margins look like? What is your ambition for the upcoming annual vendor negotiations? And are you really in a position to accept any increase, even though your margins may look fine? Because you also have to remember that the sheer consequence of an investment means that every US dollar that you spend today is at least invested twice or three times because this US dollar now will form the margin basis for Amazon for next year from which they want to increase their trading terms once again. So be careful of how you invest and really kind of review, okay, in which pillar are you? If you're a multinational, fine, you'll have enough kind of 
leeway and you're diversified enough in order to get into a financial dispute or commercial dispute with Amazon during the negotiation. But if you're a smaller brand, you should weigh in your options and also look for alternatives on redistributing your risk. And that can mean that if your vendor manager is pausing orders from you, that you have a plan B, either that you can kind of keep up your sales uh, for long enough because you've stocked up your inventory with Amazon or because you have, for example, a third party selling account with which you can kind of stabilize at least the visibility of your products that would otherwise run out of stock for the time up until you have the negotiation um, concluded. Interesting. That's super helpful for those that, you know, want to get in the minds of like how brands work. Now, well, I came across you uh, through LinkedIn. You actually post a lot of tips and just like what's happening with, you know, new vendor negotiations. Do they usually happen at the end of the year? For most categories, yes. So in consumer goods categories, you see them starting around now, actually, post Black Friday. For brands in hardlines categories, so home housewares, uh, kitchen, MBA appliances, um, outdoor garden, toys, for example, there you would see them start in the beginning of the new year. So typically first half of January. So this is your busy season. It is, it is for sure. I think a lot of brands are currently in the midst of their preparation phase. And the way that Amazon has started uh, the negotiations um, that I've been seeing kicked off so far is quite interesting because a lot of brands have hoped that Amazon reduces its own margin requirements in those discussions. Quite the contrary is coming to life. So Amazon is now saying, hold on a second, when we're looking at the inflation rates and we compare how a lot of product prices have exceeded those inflation rates over the last 12 to 16 months, there is a business case for us to reduce cost prices that have that brands have increased with us over the last 12 to 16 months as well. So a lot of brands should prepare mentally as well for the fact that Amazon will ask them to reduce their cost base once again, while stabilizing their backend trading terms. So keeping them stable, but reducing the cost prices, which means more margin for Amazon, but would leave a lot of brands much worse off from their own bottom line perspective. So in light of that, what I would encourage brand owners to do is really to review how have your variable costs developed? How are raw material costs and elevated inflation rates, of course, materializing across your entire value and supply chain? Because while costs may have come down, they, of course, still stay at elevated levels. And while Amazon may formulate it in a way that, look, inflation is over, we need to get down from our cost basis. That, of course, is not the reality that we often um, live in because we often had also in the past challenges to get these costs increased in the first place with a significant delay compared to the cost that we had to counter from an inflationary perspective. Interesting. What do you see the future of vendors? Are they increasingly just going to be shrinking or how's this program going? Well, look, I mean, there's always a lot of confusion around the overall sales share between 1P and 3P. Uh, 3P, I think, has, um, based on the latest quarterly figures from Amazon, now reached a 60% sales share. So there are a lot of sellers, of course, that have onboarded their business during the pandemic. And equivalently, we also see that Amazon focuses more on the A brands on Vendor Central. So I think overall what we are seeing uh, across retailers, also on Walmart, but also, of course, with Amazon, is the fact that Amazon is much more focused on manufacturing brands that are A brands in each category where they need to be able to control pricing and inventory in order to meet their requirements and their promises to end shoppers to A, deliver pretty fast, 
with next day delivery um, guarantees often promises often, but also to be very price competitive. And they cannot do that only by the third party selling model. For a lot of mid and long tail selection where third party sellers are selling also unbranded goods, they don't care about that that much. But for any big brands, Amazon wants to be competitive. So the first party vendor central model has its place and I don't see it going anywhere. And there are currently also no signs that it's going to be concluded anytime soon. Awesome. Well, Martin, thank you so much for uh, sharing your knowledge. Uh, good luck with all the negotiations that uh, you go through. Uh, do you work with like tens of brands or hundreds of brands? Uh, I keep it to a relatively low figure simply because, okay. of course, when I'm getting engaged, I also want to really drive and see the, the value that is being brought on and be part of that transformation. So typically, I only work with a handful of brands from okay. the preparation process to the conclusion process when it comes to the negotiation. Um, but I also offer more uh, one-off negotiation trainings for brands that are looking to kind of equip themselves and elevate their knowledge when it comes to these annual trade discussions with the Amazon vendor manager. Um, so those are, of course, a little bit more broader catered towards. Cool. Well, Martin, you're a great follow on LinkedIn. Uh, thank you for all that you you share and for, for coming on the pod to chat for a second about these things. Thank you. Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for having me and uh, hope to hear you and see you next time again. Thanks. Okay. Well, that wraps up today's podcast. Thanks everyone for listening in and we'll see you next time. One, two, three. Yeah.